Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. What's up, Rockstars? Matt Johnson back again with the UX Podcast. Another phenomenal guest and super, super interesting conversation with Michael Raub. He's in a very, uh, very interesting niche. Basically, what Michael does is he helps healthcare practices uh, get their operations streamlined to position them to exit or sell their professional service practice. And there's a lot of people in this audience that are interested in that both for themselves and there's some folks in the audience who have already built their UX machine and it's running and now they are able to kind of look around and look at other opportunities because the operations of their core business doesn't take up 40 hours a week of their time. And so maybe they might be in a position to buy uh, another business. And so uh, if you're, uh, if you want to get to the point where you'd like to scale up and sell and exit, or if you're looking at buying another business, man, this is a phenomenal episode. But we also talked about some really interesting things. Even if you're a coach or a consultant, as Michael is working with clients, we talk about the difference between consulting and coaching, uh, what Michael does in terms of getting hands on with his clients and where the consulting ends and the coaching takes over. So if you're fascinated by that, as I am, it's a great conversation there. We also talk about why, um, some of the, the clients that Michael works with, because they're in healthcare, because they are by nature most of the time specialists, they do have an advantage over other small and medium-sized businesses because they are virtually, I would say, forced or they, they gravitate towards a singular focus. And, uh, and, and there's, there's so many lessons there for us all to learn because a lot of us here in the wild west of entrepreneurship, we get way too, uh, way too overtaken uh, and overwhelmed by the amount of options and we go from one shiny object to the next and we want to turn our expertise into 17 different products or we want to work with seven different kinds of, uh, of ideal clients. And I think one of the interesting things about the clients that Michael works with is just that they, they have to build a business around a singular focus. If you're a dentist, you can't do seven other things. You offer dentistry, right? And so they have a single point of focus and then they build their business around that. That actually sets them up to build a scalable, sellable professional service firm. Whereas most of us in the professional services world will never get that chance because we never build a business that's actually sellable. And so we talk about uh, what's the difference between a strategic buyer for a business versus a financial buyer. Super fascinating stuff. Michael's got a deep background in working with hedge funds and private equity, so he's seen both sides. Uh, we also talk about when, when a financial buyer comes in, someone that has the money, has the resources, and can get the talent and recruit top people and all this stuff, why would they do that? What are they looking for? And Michael's answer to that is really interesting because what they're looking for is a platform business. And so we talk about two or three aspects of what is a platform business? What is a business that can be a platform that's scalable geographically or, or even across the country? And then finally, we talk about what is the ideal exit? What is the ideal situation where you as the entrepreneur have started your business and you're ready to exit? What are some of the things that you need to think about? What are the timelines? When should you start making changes to your business? And Michael also talks about some of the key things that we can 
change in our business, you know, 12 to 24 months out from a sale that make, could make a seven figures worth of difference on the sale. So what are the things that we can get in place in our business uh, that make our, our business so much more appealing than it might actually be worth seven figures in value to that buyer. So this is an incredible conversation. I'm super excited for you to, uh, to listen to it and get, uh, get a ton of value out of it. So without further ado, uh, Michael Raub, the founder of Inflection 360, we're going to jump right in. First of all, Michael, officially welcome to the UX podcast. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. You're a little bit outside of, of the typical guests that we have on because you've got a really interesting specialty. So you work with, you know, healthcare practices predominantly. So I want to start a little bit with just how did you stumble onto that? Did you have a healthcare background and why you decided to really stay within that specialty? Well, I actually started my career as an investment banker, uh, a generalist working across all types of industries. But 16 years ago at this point, I ended up in the healthcare arena. And uh, now, so I've worked in anything from surgery centers to leading uh, acquisitions for corporate, a couple of major corporations in healthcare. So my definition, I just sort of fell into a space as I went out and started my own. Uh, consulting and coaching. Healthcare is where most of my business has originated and continue to grow from. Yeah. So what, what do you, what do you like versus what do you not like when you look at the specialty that you've kind of chosen? What, what are some of the, um, yeah, what are some of the things that you like about it that, uh, that other kind of industries might be able to learn from? Well, one of the things I like for me personally is that there's this ongoing challenge and there's always opportunity to improve performance. Uh, healthcare practices, not necessarily dissimilar to a lot of small businesses, but particularly in healthcare, a lot of the organizations have been built or, uh, from a single doctor practice. And as it's grown, it really hasn't built a true business infrastructure, mm-hmm. uh, often the case. So they're, they're very profitable and successful businesses almost in spite of what they don't do from a business standpoint. <laughs> right. So I know that I can, if, uh, I often can come in and add a lot of on the ground benefit just by spending time talking about how they're actually running various components of their business before even looking at bigger opportunities. Uh, but what you, the one thing you do see consistently, which would be the great advice to apply to other businesses from what you see in healthcare is, they're singularly focused in what their revenue comes from or they, how they derive their revenue and focus their business. It's by, by default because they're a doctor in a given specialty. But yeah. so many times when I talk to people who run small businesses, they get, they get excited about every shiny object that's coming around by them. And that lack of focus or that loss of focus can be really detrimental to the business. So, yeah. so the, other edge, the other end of the uh, equation there. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, and you mentioned the, the like the coaching and consulting. I want to talk a little bit about what you see as kind of the difference between the two because you have a particular style. You, you don't consider yourself really much of a, a coach, but I'm curious about what you mean by that. Well, when I think about coaching, I think about spending, which I, I do. It's really more a component of what my, I consider my broader consulting. I spend a lot of time talking to the owners or the management team, really helping set in place initiatives and strategy. Um, but where I go a lot further is that from the consulting side, my sleeves are rolled up. Uh, they actually are probably rolled up right now. My sleeves are rolled up. I uh, get involved in actually making those plans um, 
you know, make sure they're implemented, actionable, correcting along the way. So I consider it a very collaborative effort with the management. So from that extent, I'm consulting, I'm coaching because we're really helping them think about their business differently, understand the broader environment, um, guiding them on paths to be more successful as a, an entrepreneur, a business owner, uh, particularly when I'm working in healthcare, doctors who really don't have formal business training, that's yeah. invaluable to them at times. But then it's that next level of saying, okay, well, I've run healthcare practices in my past and I've mm -hmm. done acquisitions and I've sold businesses. So let me help you do all those things now too and, and really mm -hmm. and take it over the line. So that's how I, I sort of, sometimes people just want my advice and then I'm coaching other, t but most of the time I end up being really an integrated, active, integrative, active partner in the business. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the interesting things when, where, where most people draw the line between coaching and consulting, I think, is that the consultant gets to tell them what to do and then it's their responsibility to implement. And that's, that's awesome for the consultant in the sense that you can kind of walk away, except <laughs> yeah. the problem is, is that if they don't implement, then they don't get any value, Right because it was nothing was implemented. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I think, uh, I think all of us, there's, there's the opportunity slash temptation to really get hands on, but then it does get into coaching because you're leading people to get results. It's not enough to just tell them what to do and expect that they do it. Right. And whether the, even if you, yeah, you, what they give a lead a horse to water, but if you give them the strategy, it's still, you got to implement it. So I have no yeah. problem telling somebody what all the things that I would want to do to improve their business because the likelihood of them going and doing all those things on their own it's, it's slim to none. Not even if yeah. they want to do it all, they go back to the point of they don't have an infrastructure or team build up. They can take on those responsibilities. They're already working in the business so much that to work on the business, the, that cliche becomes very, very self-evident and they need the outside help one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that's what I want to get into. Cause it's, you're, you're in this interesting spot where, you're, you're a coach consultant, but you're not talking about like the carrot on the end of the stick. The reason that people come to you is not, they want to take over the world, right? They're, they're, they're looking for the opportunity to potentially sell and exit. And so that they actually want to scale back their personal involvement, which is really interesting niche because it forces you to think about things entirely differently. You can't build the business on the strength of the person that's at the core. Well, I think there's some nuances to that. I, I, for, I think that uh, they ultimately look towards an exit, but I like to start working with clients in a perfect world a couple of years before they would ultimately like to get out of the business mm -hmm. at a minimum because there's so much value that can be created okay. uh, by just improving operations and, and really being thoughtful and planning in that exit process. Okay. Uh, when somebody comes to me and say, uh, you know, I want to sell my business now, that's great because I can help them do, achieve that, help them find the buyers, work through that process. But often they, they're leaving money on the table uh, because there's typically a, uh, a whole checklist of things that they could have been doing to better present their financials, boost their performance, some short-term some short-term changes that will benefit the business for the long haul. Mm -hmm. And having bought in my world, 60, over 60 different medical or dental practices in my career when I was in the corporate world, recognizing how many times that, oh, if you'd only done X, Y, and Z in the last six months, I'd have paid you a million dollars more for your business. You know, <laughs> never have those conversations with them, but no, I recognize that's what made me really realize that if I went out on my own, I could help these, these groups quite a bit because mm -hmm. of just uh, a lot of it is putting a bow on it. You've got a great business. Let's clean it up. Let's do a few things to enhance the performance, but don't let the mm -hmm. buyer get all the benefit of the mistakes that you've made. Let's fix some of them now. So they have to pay more for what, you, what you've created. Yeah, that's interesting. 
Okay. So you'd like to get them two years before they get to that, uh, that stage where they're ready to sell now. Um, for, for anybody that's wondering, uh, let's say they're running a successful business right now. It could be a professional. Like most of the people in the audience are running a professional service firm of some kind. A lot of it's, you know, maybe a leverage scalable extension of who they are, right? Just like a doctor. Um, so what is the process? Like how do, how do they start to attract people that are looking to buy a business like theirs? Is it attraction or do you have to literally go out and find buyers? Well, and I said, I'll start with, I should clarify, I'd love to start with people two years in advance of them wanting to sell, but I typically get people you know, six to 12 months before they yeah. want to do. So in a perfect world, I should clarify back on that. But mm-hmm. um, it really, some of it depends on the, in the business market that they're in, uh, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, when I work with, I've done a lot of work in the dental space, for example, that's a very hot space for private equity. So buyers in the, from a private equity side are all over the place. And it, so some of them will get unsolicited offers on their practice if they're, if they're sizable enough. And so they would be on the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, still, that's, that's some of them. Most of them you have to get the, make the outreach out there. And certainly in other spaces, even in medical where I work, do a lot of work, it hadn't occurred to group people to buy them or does, you know, unless they're hanging up a placard saying for sale, people mm-hmm. aren't paying much attention. So it, getting somebody involved who, whether it's you know, somebody like me, who's been a consultant, but have been on the side, the buy and sell side and has those connections certainly is valuable. Mm-hmm. Whether you can take advantage of somebody uh, like an investment bank, which I'm a for- lived in that in my past life, depending mm. on what size you're at, that's not necessarily a viable option. But mm. having those conversations is always a good starting point because you, you can always have a conversation with somebody. They just may not want to do business with you. <laughs> um, my concern is often when the, when it defaults to, I'm too small for an investment bank. So I guess my only option is a business broker or somebody to put my business out there. And there's where you get into situations where, frankly, they're not typically invested in helping you get um, the max value for your business. They don't really understand it. They don't really want to understand it. They're just about, let me do another transaction. I've got a bunch of businesses on the market, and I see that in medical all the time. So that's where I try to play in the sweet spot. But for somebody to get informed in that world, um, obviously, there's a lot of information out there and reading up and if you're seeing others that have had success getting sold or getting interest in your same space, reaching out and LinkedIn being a great way, reaching out to somebody's already sold their business uh, or somebody who's part of something that's grown, uh, reach out to those people and kind of get, take their knowledge as well. You know, don't just take some consultant, like my, my vision of it, but talk, to people, <laughs> talk to somebody else who's, Hey, that would have been my, if they were down the street from me, they'd be my competitor. If they're across the country, even better. I can talk to them without any, uh, any fear of us feeling like we're tripping all over each other. Well, well, speaking about that, right. So selling, you know, looking at competitors, right. How, um, have you noticed any trends in exit packages that work, exit strategies that work where they're not necessarily selling to private equity or an investment bank where they sell to a collaborator of what might be considered a competitor in their city or someone that is outside of their market, but does something similar and they sell their locations to essentially an an outside competitor. Um, Do you see any trends like do, do those types of exits work better when you're selling to someone that's in your industry versus selling to like a private equity? Well, having been somebody who bought a lot of stuff you know, as, a, as a strategic buyer, I, I said that 
there's a lot of opportunity there. So if you can identify the ideal buyer for you, um, sometimes making that direct outreach saves you some step in the middle of getting other, other big groups involved to help facilitate a transaction. What you lose is a little bit of leverage in that standpoint of having somebody who is big or appears to be big by your side or knowledgeable helping you through that process. But even in a process where, um, even where it is a true formal sales process, strategic buyers often do come to the fold and where they have a big benefit is that they automatically are going to recognize, they typically recognize synergies on the acquisition where, Hey, we're, our businesses are similar so we can cut some administrative costs here. We can leverage our platform. So because they get that added, added benefit that maybe a private equity firm or financial buyer doesn't have, they theoretically have the ability to get more value out of the deal and pay more for it. Yeah. Um, the question is, are they opportunistic buyers? Are they aggressive buyers? Uh, I've competed against private equity firms when I was, uh, most recently Western dental, I was buying dental practices mm -hmm. and we had value we could bring in the deal that another buyer may not be able to. So we were able to be, appropriately aggressive on deals, not, mm -hmm. not crazy, <laughs> yeah. really aggressive. So, um, but if, if you're a platform or something that a private equity firm sees that they can really scale a business around, yeah. then some, then sometimes you'll find some very aggressive patterns there. So I, I'd say you mm -hmm. have to really, it's worthwhile to evaluate the landscape and look at both opportunities. Uh, if there's a clear strategic buyer, I always recommend at least exploring that path. Uh, one way or another, getting connected to them to see what might be an opportunity for you. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. And getting back to, um, you, you came alluded to the fact you've, you've seen a lot of these transactions go down, facilitate a lot of them. Um, anything, anything that you've noticed in terms of a, a person, when they exit, how long they stay on afterwards, just you know, any trends in what you've noticed just as a general practice kind of works well. Yeah, I know that there's always the view of like, we want to keep them around for X number of years. Uh, if, if it, particularly with the strategic, I think there's challenges there. Uh, there's headbutting that happens pretty quickly. Right. Uh, whether it, not anyone's desire, just the realities. They've run their business now. They're working for you. I yeah. don't see those transitions lasting long. And anytime we've even tried to structure them for a couple of years, they tend to. It's rare that they a year later, those people want to be around. So it ends up being a mutual change frequently mm -hmm. from a financial buyer perspective and, and knowing a lot of the people in the private equity sector, if they're particularly looking at you as a platform or something that they really want to scale with, uh, I see a high percentage of those owners being uh, valuable and staying for the long term, and, and or often talking about the second bite of an apple, uh, getting the getting for the next five years out when they roll it over to another private equity firm. You, know, you get carried through that have equity. So <laughs> the first sale is is great and can make you tons of money. The mm -hmm. next sale is where you talk about. Um, uh, I don't want to say cra no, crazy money. I'll call it crazy yeah. money at times where there's that now it's gotten that much bigger scaled up and they're selling it once more and you had equity in that business still. Okay. Those are those great opportunities when somebody has that second bite. Second bite. All right. That's interesting. Okay. So tell me a little bit about the platform. Um, what, what, what do, especially financial buyers when they look at, okay, we yeah. think this business or this multi-location service business has the ability to be a platform and support 20, 30, 50, hundred locations or more around the country. What are they looking at? Well, they definitely start with the, the owner or the, the key management team. And sometimes that management team might be there's really only one or two people on their management team. Yeah. Um, 
do they see somebody that has the mindset and ability to scale? If they bring the resources, hey, we'll bring you a chief financial officer as you grow. We'll help you bring in a true great marketing person or you know, help fill your holes. But yeah. you have the drive and motivation to really be that kind of a leader in what is now going to be a different business than what you've created to that point. Yeah. And so that's a very key consideration. Um, geographic density can help in a lot of these opportunities. If somebody's thrown their, particularly like in healthcare, where somebody's acquired a bunch of things in disparate locations around the country, mm-hmm. it's harder to manage anyway. So it may not be the best scalable platform. I see when people sort of build geographically and scale out that there's that much more hey they've shown that they can grow themselves located we we can we can just supercharge this a little bit add the team add some of the team that they need and but i think it goes both ways what do pe firms look for but i think what is clearly what does somebody who's selling their business for it's great to get dazzled by a big number um but you know as we talked about before i have a client who has been offered a lot of money for the business a tremendous amount of money and turned it down because from a partnership standpoint or a relationship, it wasn't going to be the right fit for the next five years, which mm-hmm. nobody wants to get up every day and be angry that they made a lot of money, but they have to live for the next five years. Particularly if there's going to be another, another bus pulling up any minute now that might be a better partner for you to work for. So yeah. I think both sides have to really do some soul searching and rec- look at each other and go, are we going to want to be in business together three years from now, five years from now? Are we going to have, because if we're not having fun, this is going to get really painful and probably will not be nearly as successful as if some, you know, the right partners align, yeah. even though the private equity firm might bring bringing all of the right skills to the table or you know, same in the venture yeah. capital world. Yeah. There, there's a man, there's a phenomenal book. You might've run across it years ago, uh, managing the professional service firm by David Maester. And he has a, it's like buried in the very back, uh, is a, a chapter all about partnership issues because he deals with a lot of accounting firms and law firms okay. and they'd bring him in as a consultant to help grow the business. And he says about 40, 45% of the time, one or more of the partners would end up leaving the business because he'd dig into the consulting process and they'd realize there were value conflicts and people would realize, oh, wait a minute, we shouldn't have been in business together to begin with. I need to leave. <laughs> so like, be, beware yeah. how good of a consultant you bring in to help grow your business because you may find out you have bad partners to begin with. <laughs> Anyway. I haven't read the book, but that's a great point. I love that book. Okay. So, uh, so before we get uh, to wrapping up, um, tell me a little bit about uh, when, you, when you get your head above the clouds, let's say you've built a professional service firm or, or healthcare practice or something like that. And now you're at the point where you're the person looking, you're, you're the potential strategic buyer for something else. Um, what are some of the things that, that you look for uh, versus what a you know, private equity firm would look for? Sure. That's a great question. I, I think one of the things is if you have a mindset of what really is a good fit for you business-wise, I mean, obviously you have to have a clear foundation of what you're looking for. You can always be opportunistic, but really know what is going to fit with your business when you see it. Um, uh, the biggest piece of advice I can offer is that don't figure out what do you think something's worth. And some of the best deals are the ones you don't do. Um, mm. you know, yeah. People get, get excited and then, well, it's only a million dollars more. We'll fig- you know, if you figured out what your max price is, there's a reason you, agree- you figured out what that was your maximum price. And yeah. if the seller and you don't align on value, it's okay to walk away. Um, you could be burdened with something that could really hamper your own, your core business for the long term. So the worst thing you can do, the worst mistake you can make is to just 
destroy or disrupt your core business because you see that other opportunity to do something more. Uh, And unfortunately, I've seen that more than um, enough times where people made that mistake, they've overpaid and they've, the the buyer's remorse, you're stuck with it now and, but you've got to live with it or worse. Hey, we're glad we did the deal, but we overpaid or we've had to put too much attention on the new business. And it has really brought down the operations of of the core of the original business. So Hmm. don't bite off more than you can chew. Or if you're going to bite off more than you think you can chew, figure out how to uh, um, figure out what resources you need, whether it's consultants or advisors on a temporary basis, or really you need to beef up your core team. Um, that's critical. And you can pay whatever price you want. Uh, you, can, you can have the best opportunity ever, but if you can't integrate, you're, you're screwed. You're screwed. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I, and, and that's, and yeah. unfortunately that, that's, look, I admit it. I'm a guy who like was sitting there in, in these healthcare firms and I was the guy negotiating the deals and structuring the deals, handholding and getting them closed, going through all the pain and suffering. Okay. But then we had integration teams and I got to be in, in the meetings, but I wasn't having to deal with the headache of, we're going to convert over a system today. What's that going to do to the practices operations? We're going yeah. to retrain the, the staff on how we'd like the certain things done. Those are challenges and people challenges that you have to be ready for because they take a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get the culture right, and if you don't get people on board with what you're doing, you've thrown a lot of money at something which is going to feel like a money pit versus a great opportunity to do wonderful things for your business. And, get you know, get these people that you've acquired their business, these employees, they should get excited. This would be a great opportunity for them as well. They have to feel that. And yeah. how, you, how you handle integration, uh, th- those first 30, 60 days will make, or bre- will make or break most deals. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I would imagine that's got to be one of the toughest parts of, of a merger or an acquisition is selling it to the people that don't necessarily directly financially benefit and sell them on yep. the cooperation, the collaboration, like all the benefits, like the, like you really have to break it. And it takes a lot, I would imagine it takes a lot of mental horsepower and, and, and attention yep. to figure out how do we structure this so that it's beneficial for everyone in the way that triggers their motivation. Absolutely. Hmm. You know, people, want, people like to feel like they're even, even, the, even the most you know, low level, low paid employee can still get excited about being part of something that's bigger if it's presented the right way. Mm-hmm. If they feel like their job is secure and somehow something got better, it's a morale boost, doesn't even have to be a financial boost to them. Mm-hmm. They can get on board and get pretty excited and it can get reinvigorated. And as you mentioned before about partners in the law firm or what might be the case, you find that there are people who go, I don't want to be a part of this and, and yeah. they move on. <laughs> and then you find other people who out of nowhere feel like they suddenly have an opportunity that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. And you see people rise up and become superstars that, you know, maybe they were hidden behind, hidden in their own corp, their old environment. Now they have an opportunity to thrive with new owners. So yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Pay attention yeah. to people. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. So I could go, I could go for a long time. Um, I've got many other questions, but I'll try to limit myself. So first of all, before we do that, what's the best way for people to reach out and connect with you? Uh, you can hit on my website, inflection360360.com is great. The best way though really is 
LinkedIn. Uh, I, I live and breathe on LinkedIn. And so if, if you, if you send out an invite, I, I recommend don't just connect with me, send me a message of why you want to connect with me. Yeah. I love to hear about people's businesses. I love to talk about what they're doing, whether I can actually be a long-term solution. I'm love to just learn what people are up to and, and offer two cents, 20 cents or $2 worth of, of, of advice if I can. And if I can be a, help be a part of a long-term solution, great. And if not, I'd love to find who can, who's a better fit or what, for what you need. Uh, so I love to engage with people out there and LinkedIn, um, Michael Raub, R-O-U-B, uh, is, is me. Uh, I would love to connect with people and hear about what they're doing. I get excited. About, I like get excited about people's stories. Yeah, I do too. That's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast. And and we talked a little bit before we jumped on and recorded just how how LinkedIn is so incredible for both of our businesses. It's 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 insane how uh, the variety of businesses that that tell me the same thing. Um, but I, I did want to ask you one quick question, then and, and then for a resource maybe for the audience. Um, uh, what's the ideal for you? Like the motivation of the person that's looking to exit. When, it re- when you really feel like they have the right motivation, the right reasons for exiting, what does that look like? Well, I, 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 ideally, they don't, they're not desperate. It's, 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 uh, it's okay. an opportunity. Um, I mean, look, sometimes there's situations in life where people have yeah. to move on from a business, and I get that. And, and obviously, those are people you really want to help because you know they're, for one reason or another, they're in a bind. Um, yeah. But often, it's those people where, like, I like what I'm doing but I've taken this as far as I can go with it, or I don't have the, I don't have this, the energy to, to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, those people care about you, know, particularly if they built the business up. I think most people have a lot of pride in what they've built yeah. and want to see it through. And if they're willing to share their knowledge and transition it, um, that, that gets me excited. I, I, I think it goes back. If somebody has passion in their business, it comes through in the way they talk about things and, they want to make sure that their staff are well taken care of, that they can help ensure the long, that there's a legacy in what they've built. That's a lot of fun for me to make sure that really their vision of the business and their dream carries on, whether they transition on for a, a day, a month, or, you know, sometimes people stay on board forever because they are part of that platform and to get to see it through. Yeah. Um, but those are the, and they're open to, Hey, here's everything I know. And here's all the things I don't because, Okay. Like I, I can tell you firsthand, there's things where I'm like, I'm not the right guy there, but I know <laughs> three people who are better at, you know, I don't do revenue cycle, revenue cycle management, but I know mm-hmm. some great people who do. So let me, ref- let me introduce you to them. Um, yeah. 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 Don't be what you're not, but know your strengths, know your weaknesses and, 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 and be open to how to get the most out of your current business, but how you're transitioning it through. That's, that's where I get excited. And is there any, any resource, any book or, or something like that, any sort of resource that you wish people would go through? Like if, if they came to you and said, look, I'm six months, I'm 12 months out. I, I really got to sell. But I've been doing these three things in my business because I learned it from this person or this book or whatever. Like what are some of the things that you wish people would delve into or a certain resource or a book you wish they would use to optimize their business before they got to you? Well, I certainly think, yeah, if they were doing it earlier in their life, any point in their career and it's never too late, even some books like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I mean, I think people's skills are really, to me, where businesses, I, I don't care, I, I know I'm getting older so that there's a lot of technology out there and businesses don't feel as people driven, but behind the yeah. scenes, there's people working together and how you treat your team and how you build that, them up and empower people that work for you and get the most out of them working for you or with you. That's where I see, you walk in, you can feel it in the air that people really understand how to, how to motivate and lead a team. Um, I said, if, and if you're really uh, uh, 
of a only want snippets of, of, of wisdom in life that'll really guide you pick up anything John Wooden never wrote. <laughs> I mean, I can read John, I can read like three pages of John Wooden. And I like, I think I carry myself a little higher through the days. Like, you know, if we yeah. could all strive to be that good and just so such little simple pieces of wisdom, but I think it all goes back to how you treat other people hmm. and, you know, do your best, work your hardest, whether you're and, and treat the lowest level person, just like you would treat the highest level person in your organization. Frankly, I've been in enough businesses where those people are more valuable. Um, <laughs> I ran surgery centers. If I wasn't there for a day in one location, it didn't matter that much. But if I was missing an orderly or a, mm. a front office person, we were in trouble. You know, it was a hard day there. So yeah, and it's not like you could step into that position and fill the gap either. No, didn't want to, but I wasn't no. qualified to either. Yeah. No. And so, uh, <laughs> Those people are the ones that staff, the patients remember, the customers remember as well. They don't remember the guy who's sitting in an office there making things hum. So yeah. check your ego at the door, empower your people, and, and really, learn how to, really learn how to lead and treat other people, and your business will grow anyway. And then when it comes time to a transition, people, easier to get people on board as well. It, mm. Here's the reasons I'm doing it. Then your team can kind of appreciate why you're doing this. It's, they yeah. trust you. They believe in you. That's interesting. I'm not, that's totally not what I would have expected you to say. I would have expected something way more operationally focused. No. P&L, get your P&L in order, yeah. that kind of thing. So, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I'm a Wharton undergrad, finance and marketing major, and I went to the University of Chicago and I got my MBA in finance and, and accounting. So I should give you the most analytical operational answers of all time. Yeah. And I believe I run, I've run my career 80% from my gut. Yeah. <laughs> But I have all those things I have, but I have those financial, that information to, to right. use to guide me. I mean, your it's, gut I, is informed with well-informed. I guess so I'm cheating a little bit because yeah. I have it. I have it in my, it's, it's in my, it's in my uh, toolkit already. So those things all do matter. And, and so I probably, if I pause for a second, I could probably think of great books in that mm. regard, but I, I think everything really starts with leadership and mm. um, there's, there's a lot of great business books out there, but uh I think so many people, particularly because I work with a lot of doctors who don't have formal business training, but I see guys who have business sense, but it, it starts with how they lead, they've, they've led their teams and built their organizations from versus I learned what EBITDA was and but mm -hmm. you learned what it is, but you really know what that means and, yeah. and, and how could I adjust it for you to make it look better? So yeah. there, there's, there's tricks and there's tools, but that's why you get somebody else to help you as an expert. Yeah, be an expert in leadership and running your team and then hire people like me to help you figure out how to do the rest. Right. That's, that's a pretty good way to phrase it. I like that. Well, we'll, we'll end there at least with the, uh, the interview, but, uh, man, that was awesome. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, everybody connect, uh, with you on the website. So inflection360.com, right. Yep. And then connect on LinkedIn. We'll get all the show, you know, all the links and stuff like that in the show notes. So for everybody that's listening and watching, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, uh, for your time. Make sure, uh, on the, if you give a review or anything, make sure to give Mike a shout out uh, in the review. Well, that was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Um, I look forward to uh, help, helping anyone out any way I can, just offering, a, I said, my two cents out there, just learning about their own businesses. But thanks for the opportunity to come on. Now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done for you podcasting service. Uh, that is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. 
You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine, and we'll see you on the next episode.